Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. Today, we're going to be talking all about STEM education and asking the question, can you bring robotics into the social studies class? Can you bring it into the math class? Hmm. Maybe you're out there scratching your head going, what is he talking about? I thought that STEM education was science, technology, engineering, and math. Today, we're going to be taking a look and breaking those words down with a guest today. But before we get to her, I want to introduce you to some of the great things that have been happening on TeacherCast. As you heard in our previous shows, we are going through a complete redesign, overhaul, brand new things happening. Um, as we get ready to introduce 2018, we're going to be saying goodbye to the website that we've been using for the last couple of years and introducing a brand new website, brand new logo, brand new name. And I hope you guys have a chance to check out the brand new TeacherCast as we go through here. Haven't quite had the time to launch it yet. But there's certainly several great ways to reach out and be a part of this and all of our shows. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voicemail over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. Email us over at feedback at TeacherCast.net. And it is a brand new year, so it is a great time to reach out and subscribe to us on audio and video at TeacherCast.net slash iTunes and TeacherCast.net slash YouTube. My guest this year is the closing keynote speaker for the FETC conference. I want to bring on Dr. Ayana Howard. Ayana, how are you today? Welcome to the program. Thank you. I am doing very well. Thanks for asking. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to have you on here. I am looking forward to talking all about STEM. Now, Many people look at STEM and say science, technology, engineering, and math, but it's so much more. Talk to us a little bit about what you're doing in the field of STEM. Um, so I'm a professor. So I wear wear two hats. I'm a professor at Georgia Tech, and I teach engineering, computer science to students. So typically, those are already STEM focused students. I also wear the hat of chief technology officer of Zyrobotics which is a education technology company. And that's where we bring STEM to everyone. So if you think about it, STEM should be the language of every day. Everyone should use it. Just like you have reading, writing, math, you have all these aspects. And I think STEM allows so much more than just the classical scientist or engineer. Now, when we look at STEM, we sometimes get confused at these words. We have coding and we have programming. Let's just start with those before we break this into a bigger, bigger onion here to peel off. Coding, programming, are they the same? Are they different? Do they meet in the middle somewhere? You know, they're basically the same. So when people say, oh, I know how to code, they really mean, oh, I know how to program. I know how to use a language that could be any type of language, whether it's Python or C or C Sharp and I use it to do something. Um, and so they're, they're both the same thing. Now, the, the class might call it a programming class, but what you're doing is coding. And as we go through, we have different things as far as the world of coding and programming. I know there's a lot of teachers listening to this saying, wow, I don't understand all of this stuff. Or they might say, well, my kids know that stuff. They like to play with video games. We like to talk here on TeacherCast and say that coding is available for everyone. Now, obviously, we just had Computer Science Education Week. Uh, many teachers also participated in the hour of code, or many teachers completed in the many hours of code. Why is it important that today's students not just look at it as an hour, but coding as part of the everyday curriculum? 
Um, so one of the things about coding, and I think there might be a, a sometimes a misunderstanding, is like, oh, I need to learn how to code. I need to learn how to program something. But really, we think of coding and programming as a way of thinking. It's a way of, and an one term that's used is computational thinking. It's about thinking logically. It's about thinking in sequences to solve problems. Um, and coding really teaches you how to do that, how to think about something. I have, a, I need something. I need to develop something. How do I solve this? Well, I need step one and step two and step three. Um, and so really, I think you can do that type of thinking at any age and with, with any kind of implementation. So it's not just coding a language. It's also doing coding with games. I love the idea of doing coding with games. What 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 kind of examples could you uh, share with us for anybody that's looking at going at games in the classroom? Yeah. So um, imagine, if you will, uh, something like um, uh, where you have to uh, solve a hopscotch, right? So if you think about hopscotch, you, you kind of jump on these letters, one, two, three, um, and, and so on. And it's a numbers game. So imagine, if you will, that you have to code this as a game. And so what you can do is you can have one student basically code instructions, like have one card that says jump and have another one that says jump backwards and have another one that says um, move two steps. And then you basically have another student and the coder would be like, oh, I have a card. I'm going to code you to play this game. And here's jump. And you look at the student doing jumping and you say, here's move two steps. And, you, and it actually is an enjoyable experience because one, it's physical, but then really you're going through the sequential process of steps. One, two, three. Now, just in case anybody out there is trying to decode this conversation, get that? This is not the same thing as gamification, right? This is bringing games into the classroom. Yeah, this is bringing games into the classroom. And gamification is taking concepts, like coding concepts, and putting it into a more fun and engaging um, process. Now, the neat part about coding and games is you really can bring it to any level. Uh, many of you guys know out there I'm a technology coach. I have a chance to work with kindergartners, 12th graders, everywhere in the middle. I love bringing coding into the kindergarten classes. All of the kindergartens in our school have these rugs, and some of the rugs have the alphabet laid out, and some of them have numbers or colors, or it doesn't matter. I look at that as a grid system. And we get the kindergartners on the, on the grid, and maybe they're starting at letter A, and they have to get to letter Z or Y or something like that, right? And they have to go from A to B to C and then they make a left turn, and then they're going from K to L to wh whatever the letters are, right? But essentially, they're turning that rug into a grid system, and that's that's coding, right? Like, that's the beginning of logical thinking. That is, and one of the nice things about that is you can be creative. Um, so how you're creative is based on the instructions. So maybe you say, hey, students, you only get left-hand turns, left and straight, all right? How would you solve this problem? And then you can switch it and say, hey, now you can only do right-hand turns and straight. And what happens is now one student say, hey, guess what? There's more than one solution to solve a problem. There isn't just one right answer, which is why coding is so beautiful as well. That's so true. And if you, if you can get the right answer by doing things completely different or you immediately want to fix the thing, if you don't get the right answer. So for instance, let's say you're doing it in advanced class and you say, turn 45 degrees and launch the catapult. Well, if it's not 45 degrees, you're gonna know automatically that it's right or wrong. Maybe you gotta Correct. turn it 48 degrees. 
Now, change that into like an English paper where if the kid gets a B minus, he goes, eh, okay. There isn't any, okay, now I have to get this better. It's, I want to get this better. I want to make sure that I'm achieving the goal or making the catapult off the robot go. I love the fact that coding is one of those topics that every student wants to make sure that they get it right. They want to get it right. And I also believe that not only that, but it also allows you to have an imagination. Mm -hmm. So if you think about um, something more like math, right? Two plus three, you know, there's kind of one answer. Yeah, it's five, right? It's not four. It's not two, right? Two plus three equals five. But if you instead say, hey, the answer is five, how do I get that? What are the other ways of getting to five? It's up to you. Then it's like, oh, I can have five ones or I can have two plus three. And that's really what coding is, is there's an answer you want to get to, but we give you the flexibility of how do you get to that answer? Which means that you can have someone who's also creative and loves to do things like imagination or artistic and still do coding. If you were listening to this show and you were looking for some simple resources, things that you might go to for you know, inspiration or just teach me the first thing about this, what are some of your go-tos when you talk to teachers? Um, so depending on the age, uh, so for, I would say, middle school and high school, I'll tell them, go to code.org. Yeah, just go there. Um, for younger kids, I actually find that the apps help a lot more. And so um, example of apps going Daisy the Dinosaur is an example, Scratch Jr., uh, our newest one, Tommy the Turtle, Learn to Code, which are, are younger for younger kids because they teach you the sequential logic and sequential thinking uh, without the use of, say, um, blocks or c-sharp or things like that um yeah those are the words that scare people when you say we're gonna do python today and we're like what what is this thing that we're talking about but i gotta tell you and you know again my audience knows i have four-year-old triplets they sit down with me with the dot and dash wonder robots and and look they can't read but they know that the blue block goes next to the green block and then the robot moves or it makes a sound or it, it, whatever it works and you know, I, I'm kind of proud of this, but teaching my four-year-olds block-based coding at the very, very minimal, um, they're having fun with it. And there isn't a day that I come home that they're not saying, can we take out Dot and Dash and play with it? I'm going, dude, you're four years old. This is awesome. Yeah, but, you know, what they're looking at is the patterns. Yep. And so they're, they're, not, they're not readers yet. But one, it also helps with reading because eventually they'll realize, guess what? There's some numbers on those blocks. And I've been putting the blue and I've been seeing this plus or minus with the pink. And eventually they're like, oh, guess what the blue says, dad? And then it goes on. And so I think it also for, for basically pre-readers that then become early readers, that then become readers, the coding will grow with them as long as you do it right. Now, you are the founder of Zyrobotics. Talk to us a little bit about the company and what does it do? Um, so Zyrobotics focuses on STEM education for early childhood education. So pre-K through, through first. And yes, we do teach coding to kids. Um, and, and what we focus on is making STEM accessible. And it's really accessible to all kids, accessible to kids who um, have a disability, accessible to kids who might not, quote unquote, have the support at home, um, accessible to kids who aren't yet reading. Um, I think STEM is, is one of these things where, where natural kids are naturally curious. 
kids are naturally wanting to find answers to solutions. They see the world around them and they're like, oh, this is interesting. Why is this? And so I think this whole aspect of STEM is designed for kids. It's engaging to kids. We just have to provide them the resources. So are you focusing on the educational classroom setting or are you focusing more on the at-home parent education community? So we're focused on what we call supplemental. So in the classroom, so that teachers can provide this kind of STEM supplemental material, but also in the home so that kids can then continue. Because STEM is something you have to practice. It's so funny, in reading, we give them books. Like we expect them to read in the class, we expect them to read at home. But a lot of times with STEM, we're like, oh, you don't need to do that, you just do it in classroom. But you need to have it in both. I mean, you need to be bringing kids home and starting to say, hey, let's count how many dishes mommy's putting in the dishwasher, or let's count how many dishes dad is putting it. We need to incorporate the STEM in everything from the classroom to the home. Now, when we're looking at the youngest of learners, as we just talked about, some of the kids can't read. What activities um, do you provide? Do you share? Do you make possible for those kids? Um, Yes, I'm talking about my own right now, but the preschool kids, the pre-readers. For instance, we just had a, a fantastic show with Lego Education talking about some of their products that they're designing for STEM education. Um... Where, where do you go when, when you are completely uh, teacher-based? Because obviously the kids can't really do this on their own yet. Well, so that's the thing. I, I, I am a proponent of um, apps and tablets and mobile devices. I, I just am. Um, you know, the, the ship has long sailed for us to be saying no to this. Mm-hmm. It's already gone. So let's, let's capitalize on this device that's there that pretty much every child has access to. Um, and it's intuitive to kids. It's intuitive. Like they can get on and they know how to swipe and touch and, and do things. Um, and so how do you enable these kids access to STEM concepts? As an example, we have a series of ebooks called STEM Stories. And it incorporates reading, but it reads to you. So if you have a child who um, is an early reader or a pre-reader, it reads to you, but then it engages you into basically games that help you with either coding or math or counting or money or time. Um, And so as a teacher, you basically, kids, they still like books, but now you can integrate the books with the STEM concepts. I love that. Uh, And, and, we're going to be taking all of these uh, examples that we're talking about here, making sure that they're in our show notes as we go through here. Let's make a little left turn and talk about FETC. Um, thrilled to know that on Friday, January 26, you are the closing STEM keynote address. Talk to us a little bit about what you're planning to uh, discuss with us. Well, I'll give you the high level viewpoint. I'm going to talk about uh, one is robotics. Robotics is um, all the rage right now about robots in our society and our world and and things like that. Um, And I think one of the things that we need to make sure about with robotics is that we provide our students, even our young ones, the ability to be developers, not just users of this technology in the future. Um, So I'm gonna talk about robotics in general, like everything that people wanna know about robotics uh, from both the news as well as, you know, what's really going on in the robotics labs um, and then tie it into things that teachers can do to engage their kids, even if they themselves uh, may not be fully immersed in robotics, things they can do to engage their kids in, in this wonderful world that, that's facing us now. 
What are some of the first things that teachers can be thinking about when they want to bring STEM into the curriculum? This is a topic I talk to teachers about all the time, and it still comes down to the, I, I don't, I, what's, what's, what's the first step? And would you take it with me? Um, so I think the first step is, one is not to be fearful that you don't know as much as the students. Um, I think one of the things about STEM is providing them the resource and the access. And the kids are okay with kind of exploring on their own. I mean, that's what's nice about STEM. They are okay with exploring and, you know, trial and error and seeing something and trying to figure it out and it not work and they go back again and it works. Um, so that's one thing is just bring it into the classroom, period. And, and the kids, they will appreciate that it's in the classroom. Um, and so for a teacher, there's so many resources out there right now to bring STEM in the classroom into things like the social science class, into the language class, as well as into the classical math and, and science class as well. Um, and I think one of the keys is I, I'm going to say robots, of course. Um, I have to because that's what I do. Uh, but robots is one of these things that A, it's easy to understand. B, there's resources that allow you to do everything from very simple coding, like with blocks, to very complicated, more advanced coding with the same platform. Um, and kids, they get it. When we're looking at all of this stuff, it is amazing to think that a couple years ago, these were still new topics. And now as we do our holiday shopping, um, you could go into Toys R Us and buy Wonder Robots. You can go into a Toys R Us and you can buy, uh, you, you name it. But these things are not, you know, out of sight, out of mind. You walk into any general toy store or mall and there are these robots. You walk into an Apple store, there's <laughs> R2-D2, which is a robot, right? And, and you yes. know, the Sphero company is certainly bringing things out because anybody who's watching Star Wars is watching educational robots, essentially, in action. Um, you know, with all the work that you've done, that's got to be rewarding to see that this is, I don't know, would you call it mainstream yet? Or are we still on the front end here? Well, so I think in terms of educational robotics, I would say we're, we're almost mainstream with that. Okay. Um, I, I would say that, you know, when I, when I was growing up, you know, there wasn't, you had Legos and maybe uh, Erector set. There was no robots. You built stuff and that was pretty much it. And then you moved it. That was the robot. Um, and so now what happens is they have educational robotic systems like Dash and Dot from very, very young to much more advanced. So things like um, uh, the Legos would be middle school and high school, all the way to platforms like Cosmo, which is you can actually bring it all the way to college level. Um, and so I think educational robotics is much more mainstream. Um, and as soon as we get even cheaper platforms, which is coming, then it will be mainstream. Talking today to Dr. Ayana Howard. Um, Dr. Howard, what advice do you have or will you be talking about at FETC as teachers prepare for their lessons this year and next year? Clearly things are changing, but they're changing consistently in the direction of STEM is here. It's not a future thing. It's, it's here. Um, what, what do you hope people walk away from your keynote? Um, so I hope people walk away with two things. 
One is um, I hope that they're inspired, that they feel empowered to bring this into their classroom, that it's not for someone else. It's like, oh, that science teacher's like, no, 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 this is for me. I can do that. So I want that to be an empowering experience, inspirational. Um, I also want them to leave with um, the things that they can do. So very concrete steps, you know, step one, step two, step three, and the resources available to them. Um, so those are the two things. One is inspired, and the second is, oh, and then some actual steps that you can take. If anybody out there is looking for more information or would like to contact you or maybe learn a little bit more about Zyrobotics, where can they go? Um, you can go to zyrobotics.com. There's an easy one. Uh, also, I am always on LinkedIn, always accessible via email. Excellent. And um, do you have a Twitter address? I don't. I do have LinkedIn and Facebook, though. Excellent. We'll certainly make sure that all of those links and stuff are in our show notes. This is episode 168. Dr. Howard, thank you so much. I'm uh, looking forward to catching up. Uh, certainly, please um, if, you know, invite yourself back onto the show. We do STEM topics a lot here on the network. And um, certainly, we'll be working with a, you know, a lot of robotics companies this year in 2018 and would love to have you back on as a guest. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you guys out there for making TeacherCast your home for professional development. We have had such a great 2017. Looking forward to 2018. There's, of course, several great ways to enjoy TeacherCast. You can find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voicemail over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. Email us at feedback at teachercast.net. And of course, subscribe to this and all of our shows over on teachercast.net slash iTunes and teachercast.net slash YouTube. On behalf of everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.